the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Grounded and Growing in Christ. I'm Dan Rhoda, a pastor of Worland Park Christian Reformed Church, and today we are going to open the Bible together to hear from God's Word. This month we are focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible, exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. There you can learn more about this audio ministry. And we'd love if you'd consider providing financial support by making a gift of any amount. If you're not part of the local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Now let's turn together in our Bibles to explore what God has shared with us about gratitude. Our um, scripture today is Matthew chapter 18, beginning at verse 21 reading through verse 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told the master everything that had happened. The master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had it on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. One of the things that I would like to characterize us as a church and as individuals as we meet together and worship together and live our lives together, one of the things I would like to be in front of us always is this idea of gratitude. I'd like that for for that to be a theme that um, we keep coming back to within the church this year, this theme of gratitude. Gratitude is of extreme importance. It's the way that we're to live our lives with an attitude of thanksgiving. One of the people who has had the most influence on me in my ministerial life was a minister named C.J. Dendalk. I got to intern under him, and one of the things that he always would say as he would walk the hallways of the church where he served, as he would talk to people, is we gotta have an attitude of gratitude, an attitude of gratitude, an attitude of gratitude. That's what he held like a banner over his church, that they were to have an attitude of gratitude. And it's true. This is extremely foundational in the life of a Christian. You can't be a happy person without gratitude. 
I don't believe that you can be a holy person without gratitude either. This is self-evidently true. If you were to think with me for just a moment about someone in your life who does not display gratitude generally, but is characterized by complaining, if somebody comes to mind, if I were to ask you, is this a happy person, the answer would be no. I'm thinking of someone in particular, not anybody here, don't worry about it, but there's somebody that I, somebody that I know, this is a terribly sad person because this person is always complaining about every single little thing. Ingratitude is a certain way to steal your joy. But also, you can't really be a good person without gratitude. If you think that everything is always going wrong and everyone else is always to blame, you're always the victim of it, you often find yourself unwilling to be able to serve others because you think that really you're the one that's owed here. Why am I going to put myself out? It's they who owe me. It's very hard to be a good person unless you live a life of gratitude. And in case, in thinking about it in your own life, just think about this too, the times where you have been the most grateful haven't they also been the times where you've been the most joyful or happy? Haven't they been the times of great joy and thriving because you're grateful? Now, if your, own, if your own experience isn't enough, let me tell you a little bit about the Heidelberg Catechism. The Heidelberg Catechism, one of the confessional documents that we use as a church and within the Reformed tradition, the second answer, question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism is this. What must you know in order to live and die in the joy of this comfort? This comfort being the fact that we belong to Jesus Christ. What are the things that you need to know in order to live a life of comfort and of joy? And the answer is this. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I've been set free from all the sin and misery. And third, how I am to thank God for this deliverance. And the Catechism itself split up into three sections, guilt and grace and then Gratitude, And so throughout the confessional history of this congregation, of this tradition, we have said, in order to live a life of joy, it needs to be a life of gratitude. And if you have that part missing, you won't be able to live a life of comfort and joy. Gratitude is essential to living in joy. More important still, the scriptures are very clear about how important it is to live grateful lives, thankful lives, and the result of living grateful and thankful lives. And that's exactly what our passage is about this morning. The passage is about the necessary requirement of gratitude in the life of one who follows after Jesus. And this parable tells us about gratitude and forgiveness while giving us such a true-to-life look at the human heart. And so as we went through the passage, reading it this morning, you may have noticed there are four different sections of the, of the passage. The first is that Peter asks a question and then Jesus gives an answer. And then the last three are all related to the fact that, uh, that Jesus tells a parable. There are three parts of this parable. And the first is, is the king's generosity. And the second part is the servant's ingratitude. And the last part are the consequences of ingratitude. So here are the four parts of the text this morning and we're gonna walk through each of these together. Let's start by talking about Peter's question. Peter comes to Jesus and he asks, you know, Jesus, how many times must I forgive my brother? Now, there's a deep revealing of the human heart here with this question, isn't there? How many times must I forgive my brother? Peter knows that he's for, supposed to forgive. Now, do you know why Peter knows that he's supposed to forgive? Because Jesus gives that instruction. Just a little bit earlier in the book of Matthew, he's giving his sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. He teaches the people listening how it is that they're to pray. And one of the things that he teaches them to pray is this, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Use the same measure of forgiveness that we use in how you treat us. And so Peter knows that he is called to forgive. 
And yet his attitude is the same as our attitude often is, isn't it? Because Peter hears that and he's like, there's gotta be a limit to this, right? There's gotta be a limit, Jesus. Jesus, what is that limit? I mean, you can't possibly mean that I need to keep forgiving and forgiving and forgiving to infinity, right? There must, there must be a stopping point. How many times should I forgive? Up to seven times, Peter asks. And Al Mohler makes a great point here. He says that Peter verbalizes what we all do. We all keep lists. We all keep lists of the way that people wrong us. You know, I've got this guy up to six times. Can I stop forgiving after seven? We all keep lists. You know, the reality is the song says we're supposed to count our blessings and name them one by one and remember what God has done, but it's much easier to remember all of the ways that people have been wrong to us or bad to us or false to us, all of the ways that things have gone, the ways that they shouldn't have. It's very easy for us to remember the bad things and to forget the blessings. And oftentimes, when I have to meet with people who are in intense conflict, you see this, you see this at play, right? Well, you just don't know how hard he is to deal with. You don't know how she keeps doing this sort of thing. Records of wrongs kept to the point where they're like, I can't possibly forgive anymore. Can't possibly deal with this person. It's gone past the place where any person could reasonably forgive. And Peter's doing the same sort of thing. Even as he flaunts how forgiving he's willing to be. And so he asks this question. Jesus, how many times do I need to forgive? Up to seven times, you think? That's probably too many, right? You're probably thinking two or three, right, Jesus? I'm willing to do up to seven. What do you think? Should I forgive up to seven times? Throughout the Bible, you see uh, the number seven is, is the number of a complete set. The Lord created the, the universe in seven days, and so ever since the Lord created the universe in seven days where there's a complete set, for the mind of the, the biblically literate, seven has been that number of complete set. And so Peter's like, I'm willing to forgive the complete number of times. And then Christ responds in a different way, in a different way than, um, than Peter was expecting. Well, you think you're supposed to forgive seven times? Well, what about 77 times? Or what about 70 times seven times? And there are different translations here of this portion of scripture. Now, if you grew up in the King James Version or if you're familiar with the uh, English Standard Version, what they say is 70 times seven times. What the New International Version says is, is 77 times. And the reason is that this idiomatic phrase that Jesus uses is extremely difficult to translate. A lot of people don't know what he's trying to get at. And so the point seems to be this. It's not Jesus saying, you know what? Keep very fastidious records because you thought it was seven times. You actually have to forgive a lot more than that. So, so once you get to 76, you're getting close. Once you get to 77, you're there. 78, cut them off. That's not what Jesus is saying here. No, he's saying that forgiveness needs to be beyond math. It's not that we forgive seven times, but that seven times is a mere fraction of the number of times that we're supposed to call, that we're called to forgive. That we're called to forgive and to forgive and to forgive beyond math. We never stop forgiving. Never, ever, 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 never stop forgiving. And then Jesus tells a story to illustrate that forgiveness for the Christian, for the follower of Jesus, needs to go beyond math because he starts to use some numbers that are beyond the math. And that takes us to this beautiful parable here, this wonderful story, and we start in talking about it with focusing on the king's generosity. Today's message on Grounded and Growing in Christ will continue in just a moment. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, to listen to other messages from our audio ministry, or to make a financial gift of any amount, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. That's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This audio ministry is made possible by gifts from listeners like yourself, and we greatly appreciate all those of you who continue to make it possible to share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now let's return to today's message on the topic of gratitude. 
And that takes us to this beautiful parable here, this wonderful story. And we start in talking about it with focusing on the king's generosity. Let's look back at the text here at verse 23 through verse 27. Jesus says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Now, in order to have the fullest possible picture of what's going on in this parable, we need to understand what types of numbers and what types of measurements are being used within this story here. We're told that this debt that this man had was 10,000 talents. Now, what kind of debt is that? Well, for that, we need to understand a little bit about what a talent was. There are two forms of currency that are mentioned here in this passage. The first is the talent. The second is a denarii. The denarii was a smaller unit of measurement. There were, in fact, 6,000 denarii in every talent. 6,000 denarii in every talent. How much was a denarii? Well, a denarius was, was one day's worth of labor. We know that because in other portions of scripture and other parables were told that people would receive one denarius for labor and it's the amount that they wanted to receive. It was a fair day's wage for labor, which means that one talent was about 20 years of labor, which means that if this guy labored for 20 years, he would have paid off one ten thousandth of the amount that he owed his king, his master which is to say that a debt of 10,000 talents is a debt of 60 million days of work or 200,000 years of work. That's how in debt this guy was. And so what this parable is telling us is that this was a debt basically beyond comprehension, beyond math, probably greater than what the king himself would even have the, uh, the capability of owning, of having in the treasury. This is a mind-bogglingly large sum. And it actually makes the, request of the, uh, it makes the request of the servant, I think, pretty humorous here. Because he's told, you owe the king 10,000 talents, right? You owe the king 60 million days of work. You owe the king 200,000 years of work. And here's the response. Here's the response of the servant. The servant fell to his knees with him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. And you read that, and you're like, no, you won't. Even if you started right now, you have to pay for no food, no housing or anything like that, and you just sock the money into the debt, it's going to take you 200,000 years. Be patient with me, I'm going to pay it back. The king doesn't have 200,000 years, and neither do you. There's no way for you to pay this back. And the king acts far beyond what anybody would anticipate. The king doesn't just say, you know what, you can have a little bit more time to pay back. The king says, your debt is forgiven. You can go. You're free. The king is astoundingly generous, and he forgives a debt that goes beyond math. This is not the way that any earthly king operates. Now, you notice in, in verse 23, we're told here that this is the way that the kingdom of heaven is. The kingdom of heaven is like a king that forgets this sort of debt. No earthly king would ever forget a 10,000 talent debt. You don't become king unless you have a firm grasp of the treasury, unless you're shrewd with your money, unless you do well with it. No earthly king would ever bankrupt his country in order to forgive the debt of a servant like this. It wouldn't happen. But this is what the kingdom of heaven is like because the king of heaven doesn't operate like any earthly king. The king of heaven is quick to forgive and forgives generously, even debts beyond math. 
This is the way that our king operates. This is the way that our God operates with abundant and everlasting forgiveness. Forgiveness upon forgiveness upon forgiveness upon forgiveness, forgiveness that is never exhausted. Everlasting and eternal forgiveness. So generous is the king. If the story were to end there, this would be a beautiful story of forgiveness. But there's a tragic portion of the story. And that's what comes next when we hear about how ungrateful the servant is. And so starting at verse 28, there's more to the story. But when that servant went out, he found well of one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Now you see, this is reasonable. This is reasonable. It's not saying be patient with me, I'll get you your 10,000 talents. It's be patient with me, I'll get you your four months of wages. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. There's another servant in the story. A second servant shows up. It owes this first servant who has had a massive debt canceled, owes him 100 denarii. And one of the things that we need to understand in order for this parable to make the most sense is that this is not a small amount of money. This is not a small debt. 100 denarii, that would have been four months wages, 100 days of work. And we need to understand that at this time, in this time of subsistence, it was very rare for anybody to have any great sums of money to their name. The people would, people would work for a day and then spend the money in order to provide their, for their family food and shelter. You'd barely scrape by. And so if you were to think of what you had in the bank at that time, the most that somebody in this sort of position would have had would have been one or maybe two or maybe three denarii. In the face of that, he has a servant who has a, a hundred denarii debt. It's like somebody that needs to pay you $20,000 when you got about $200 in the bank. And you realize this is a massive debt. This is beyond the ability of someone to forgive had they not been shown extraordinary generosity in the first place. Had they not been, it would have been very foolish for him to forgive such a debt. It would have meant hardship for his family or for his life. This was a large debt. No one hearing the story would have doubted the seriousness of the debt that this servant is owed. No one would have disagreed that the servant by his rights should receive that 100 denarii back, but come on. In the context of what you have just been forgiven, how do you not turn around and forgive the hundred denarii debt when you've been forgiven a 10,000 talent debt? How in the world do you not turn around and say, I'll forgive those four months of labor because you've just been forgiven 200,000 years of labor? In the context of the extraordinary generosity of the king, this unforgiveness on the part of this servant reveals that he has a terribly ungrateful heart. Of course, this large debt exists, but in comparison to what you have just been forgiven, servant, how in the world do you not turn around and then forgive in return? The only way that you do is if your heart is calloused and hardened and not grateful for, in fact, the debt that he has received. Having been utterly and completely forgiven for the eternal debt that he owed, he's unwilling to forgive this servant. And his large, and yet in comparison, infinitesimally small debt. The meaning of this parable isn't very hard for us to discern, is it? It's not very hard for us to discern. I love the way that Jesus tells stories, in part because it's so easy to find yourself in the stories that Jesus is telling. And this is one of the really great ways to read the scriptures. Find yourself within the narrative. Find yourself within the story. 
Find yourself within the stories that Jesus tells. Find yourself within the gospel narratives. Find yourself in the Bible and find yourself encountering the Christ of the scriptures who's there on every page. Find yourself called to him to take up your cross and follow after him. But in this story, it's not very hard for us to figure out where we, where we find ourselves in the narrative, is it? Now, if you read this story, where do you find yourself in this story? I doubt anybody's like, oh, I'm that, I'm that king that forgives massive debts. That's not any of us. You know, we might be tempted to say, you know, when I read this story, I realize that I'm that second servant that, that people just give a hard time to and they should forgive me. But guess what? That's not us either. No, no, in fact, when we read this story, when we read this story, we're that ungrateful, unmerciful servant. We're that ungrateful, unmerciful servant. We have a debt of infinite weight against us. And at times, our temptation, when confronted with the reality of this debt, is to just ask for a little bit more time. You know, God is perfectly majestic and glorious and holy, and that means that the sins that we commit against him are perfectly evil and wrong and infinitely, infinitely terrible in comparison to the eternal majesty of our God, which means that as we stand before our heavenly king, we have a debt that we can never repay. And that debt is our own sin. And so often we beg and we plead just like this unmerciful servant. We're like, just give me a little bit more time. I can clean up my act. I can straighten up my life. Just you watch me, Lord. I'll be able to perform all of the righteous necessary to overcome all of this debt that I have. We'll never be able to do it. In reality, we add to this debt day by day by day as we sin. And what we do and what we left undone, there is an immense, immense debt. And that debt is sin. Worthy unmerciful servant standing before our heavenly father recognizing yeah I, I can't pay I can't pay my sins too great do you hear the beautiful beautiful words of your heavenly king speaking to you this morning when you confess your sin when you confess your debt before the father even if you don't do it well right even if you're like just give me a little bit more time god i'm going to make it up i'm going to do right going to make up this debt? No, the word, the word that comes from God is not, you got more time to get things in order. No, the word is forgiven. Forgiven. That debt canceled. That debt paid. I, I placed it upon my son. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life that none of us could ever possibly live. And despite his perfect innocence, he went to the cross and he bore all of that debt that we have accrued within our life. He bears the wrath of the father and the father looks upon his son and says, I forgive, I forgive my servant. The debt's paid in full by my son. I want you to hear those words this morning. Forgiven, 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 forgiven. If you are in Christ, forgiven. All of your debt. All of your sin. And yet how often don't we act like the unmerciful servant in this story? All of our sin forgiven. And then we turn around, somebody wrongs us. You better make this right. 
Now, I'm not going to forgive, not until they make it right, not until they make, it restitu- not until they make restitution, right? And, and one of the things I love about this parable is that it tells us sometimes, sometimes the wrong committed is grave. It's huge. Sometimes, sometimes the sin that's been committed against you, oh my goodness, it's beyond our normal human capabilities to be able to forgive. And yet, and yet, when we're unwilling or unable to forgive, what that means is that we have simply lost sight of the grace and the mercy of God. We've started to think, well, you owe me the strict law with you. I'm not going to forgive. I'm not going to set things right until you make this right. Pay me back what you owe me. And maybe some of your fellow Christians hear that and they're like, don't you, don't you remember? Don't you remember the debt? Don't you remember the debt that you had that was forgiven, that was canceled? Now, in comparison to that, as great as this might be, it doesn't even approach the magnitude of what you've been forgiven. So can't you forgive in return? If we're unwilling to or unable to, it reveals a heart of deep ingratitude. And it reveals the need for us to go back to the king of heaven and realize, yeah, I've been forgiven everything. My word, what have I done? How have I been living? Why have I started to believe that I'm entitled to this? In Christ Jesus, there is infinite reason to be grateful. Why? Because you have had an infinite debt paid. My prayer is that the Lord speaks to you through his word, that we cultivate grateful hearts to him and flourish in a world searching for the hope that we find only in Jesus. To hear more about gratitude, to learn about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, or to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160 through this audio ministry, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. I'm Pastor Dan Rhoda, and on behalf of the Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the Bible here on AM 1160. If you're not part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Grounded and Growing in Christ can be heard weekdays at 2 p.m. on AM 1160. I'm Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church. This month, we're focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible, exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. If you're not a part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.